We are back, mate. I'm not just talking about the podcast having a week off. I was on a little ski trip with the family. I'm talking about baseball. The lockout is over. I found out I was sitting on a chairlift next to my seven-year-old daughter who was absolutely shredding. Did the first black run. Very proud. But sitting next to Kennedy, the phone goes off, the announcement saying baseball is back. I gave her a big hug. Super excited. So with that, we welcome back the... NL Comeback Player of the Year of 2020, Mr. Daniel Bard. You know the story. Six and a half years he missed. He was out of the game. Had the yips with the Boston Red Sox. Retired. Figured it out. Came back. So we have a great episode. Daniel Bard, Grant Balfour, myself, Ryan Rowland-Smith. Now, I do want to say we did record this before the lockout was over. So if you hear the frustration in our voice, that is why. So I just want to let you know this was recorded last week. Regardless, we still dive into some of the issues and some of the, the rule changes and things you're going to see in 2022, as well as listen to a player's point of view on this whole thing and an amazing story with Daniel Bard joining us. So if you're new to the show, big welcome. Make sure you go click subscribe. Make sure you go tell your mates. Baseball's back. I'm so happy. All right. With that, let's get right into it. As Daniel Bard, Grant Balfour, join me right here on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face the Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was as six. Victor Martinez and Grant Balfour join and benches and cleared. My goodness. This this is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. It's not personalized, but he talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Balfour, how are we, champion? Good mate, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. I've got a lot to get to today. Some aggravating news with this lockout. It's just doing my head in for so many reasons. I want to get a couple takes on that. Before we do that though, mate, there's something that's that's uh really, really important that I, I just want to discuss. And you and I have talked about it, but I want to let our listeners know what's going on in Lismore, which is up the far north coast of New South Wales. A couple of weeks ago, they got hit with the worst floods especially when you're talking about water levels in history. Closest was back in the 70s, but this is even two meters higher, right, when it comes to floods. They got absolutely crushed. Lismore um, in Australia, it's a small town, and it's really, really crucial for the baseball community because the council there has put in a ton of money to make that basically essentially a baseball town. So you have the Little League Nationals up there. You have a bunch of marquee events that go on there. Well, if you go online, you can, and we'll put some images up. It's all, the whole stadium that they built, the infrastructure is all underwater. The water's gone, and you should see it. The place looks like an absolute war zone. So I got a couple of images and photos sent to me from Dan Clark, who's a listener of the show, and he's, he's, um, he's very in, involved in, in uh, Far North Coast Baseball Association up there. He sent me, he took a video, he walked around the field, sent me a video, and man, I was like, this is nuts. So, it, 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 was, it was pretty heavy. Grant, you grew up in Australia, mate. You know how expensive yeah. the game is when you're a kid trying to play or your association or whatever is, try, is trying to survive. Baseball's a friggin' expensive sport. You don't have massive, you know, sporting goods stores that has a bunch of baseball gear. It costs a lot of money. Plus, to have your council to, to get in and, and build some of the facilities they have. Yeah. So with that being said... I want to donate as much money as possible. I'm going to send some stuff out. We're going to have on our website, if you go to www.thetopstep.com slash pitch in, you can go there and there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can donate or things that we can do. Number one grant, and hopefully you're on board with this. Any yeah. cameo shout out, I'm, any of my cameo shout outs, all that money, every cent is going to Lismore and yeah. to the far North Coast. Grant, are you, you good with that? Yeah, mate. hundred uh, percent. Right. And you, love you give to, some... uh, love to help. I mean, I've I've got um, childhood memories of going up to Lismore and playing up there, and yeah, a great town, great town, bordering you know Queensland, New South Wales, right up the 
right up there. Yeah, just uh, love to help out any way we can. So you get a cameo from Grant. Uh, I don't know what price you set. My I'm going to set mine a little lower to make sure everyone gets on there. And you can, you can, you just if you add a tip, that money again, that tip money's not going to me. It's going that's going to uh, the final Coast Baseball Association to help you know relieve some of the. Uh, so, you know, so, some of the damage. So that's number one. Number two, uh, over at Next Gen Baseball, if you, if you go to nextgenbaseball.com, I'm setting up a page where if you want your, your, your pitching mechanics broken down, this is something I do for a lot of our players. If you want that broken down, you can donate. And I'll, you sent, you've sent me the video. I've sent up a, a sign-up form where you add your video and I talk over it and I give my breakdown of your mechanics, what you can do better, what, what you can work on. I'm also going to do that uh, to donate some money. But if you just want to donate, if you don't want a shout out from Grant, who has the, the best shout out to you you've uh, you've ever heard, or from myself, mine are pretty mine are pretty decent too. If you just want to donate, well, I'm going to put a button up there which goes straight to the Far North Coast uh, Association. So that's something that's super super important. Hopefully, uh, our listeners can help out, and we'll give you a shout out too. By the way, we'll make sure you're recognized too when you when you donate. We'll make sure we we let you know about it. So just want to get that little bit of business done um before we move on with the show so all right let's get straight into it mate speaking of australia the word of the day yeah. all right this i love this one because <laughs> i still yeah. use it here every single time oh, yeah. i can't wait i can't stand using the american version that just doesn't sound right the word of the day mate is esky what is an esky mate, you uh load up the esky throw, throw a bunch of ice in the esky maybe some ice packs and a bunch of drinks sandwiches you know the whole lot mate whatever Throw it all in the esky and, uh, you know, grab the esky and off you go, mate. You maybe head down the beach or whatever. <laughs> you know, you load it up for the day. Some cold beers, some cold drinks for the kids, some sandwiches or whatever it may be. So basically, it's a, it's a cooler. It's a now, cooler. There's a, cooler a translation. Here in, in, a, uh, in America, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a good old esky. Yeah, it, Root Sports was doing this promo where they're giving away a Yeti cooler. Yeah. <laughs> They've got like a stack of them. I go to work one day, they got a stack of these Eskies, right? It was like the Yeti cooler, some sort of giveaway. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And they had this, and I said, uh, I said, oh, that's a that's a bloody good looking Esky. Have a go at that. Yeah. And then the guy, the, <laughs> the guy from Yeti was in there. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you're from Australia? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? he heard it. Yeah. So, but it, the, uh, it's so funny, mate, like filling up the esky is nothing better, mate. Just filling that thing, going go to the servo, get filling up with ice, throwing a couple of coldies in there, throwing a couple of sausages in there for the barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're, you're, you knew you were going to, you know, a party or you're going to, you know, maybe a picnic or just going out for the day. You're going to have a good time. When the esky's going with you, you're going to have a good time. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> What about when I was a kid, mate? We 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 had a beagle. His name was Jake. We, you'd go down. You had presentation day, netball presentation day, right? Where like you know everyone's getting the awards for netball now. Netball is an Australian's yeah a big sport in Australia for for yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that one day. We'll explain that in an Aussie segment. But anyway, it's presentation day. Everyone's got the eskies, mate. You see everyone getting out of the car, walking down with the esky, you know, the footy shorts yeah. on, whatever. Sit down, ready for the presentation, getting the the awards, yeah. best and fairest, highly commended. We've talked about that in the last couple of weeks. But, uh, but <laughs> our dog, we're like, where's Jake? Where's the beagle? And then this this guy comes over. He goes, mate, your dog's been going in everyone's esky, pulling out their chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you got the barbecue chicken in there, like the 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 yeah, one that yeah. you yeah you put on a on a on a bread roll and you, and you eat it. Yeah. There's Jake, mate, across the other side of the the, 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 the netty presentation with a huge chalk in his mouth, walking across. <laughs> uh, mate, I can always just remember, you know, your mum and dad, you you clean up at the end of the day, you know, and they they grab the chairs. You're like. Yeah, you're the boy of the family, you know? So it's like, mate, go grab the esky, would you? Because yeah, it was heavy. It was always That's heavy. Right. Go, go right. get the esky, mate. You know? right. Help your mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Good times. All yeah. right. Well, listen, mate, Daniel Bard is waiting for us. I want to get yep. into some good conversation. I want to ask him about the lockout, which is currently going on, which is doing my head in. And I want to ask him some good stuff too, mate. He's... Uh, Got an amazing story. If you don't know, about six and a half years being out of the game with the yips. Amazing story. We had Tyler Matzik on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, 
Bardo is who's in the waiting room. Amazing story. He's already this, by the way, this is the second time on. You got to go listen to the first show with, with Bardo. But uh, I'm looking forward to chatting to him, mate. It's going to be fun. So let's let him in. Let's get right to it. All right, mate. Daniel Bard, welcome back, buddy. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me again. Oh, of course. You, by the way, the, your, your episode was in the offseason 2020, after the 2020 season. You were the National League Comeback Player of the Year, right, which was awesome. And we dived into it pretty deep into everything you went through, the years you missed uh, pitching and dealing with the yips and everything else. But uh, the feedback from that, not only, you know, from people who, who really enjoyed the episode, it, it, it was one of the highlight ones, but even kids too, man. It, it's amazing how many 15, 16-year-olds have the yips. We dive pretty heavy into it. I had no idea, man, a bunch of – because I, I never knew about that when I was a teenager, period. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to talk about it, right? You know. That's right. I don't think I realized when you're going through it, you feel completely alone in a lot of ways, especially on a baseball field, because nobody wants to talk about it. And then when I actually retired and was working uh, – for the Diamondbacks for a couple of years. And I was kind of the mental skills coach over there. I realized how many guys were dealing with right. little things, you know, maybe not full fledged and maybe they were doing a really good job hiding it. Most of them were, but on the inside, you get them talking to, uh, and coaches too. coaches. There's like one guy on every coaching staff that doesn't like to throw batting practice. Uh, That's yeah, me, yeah. Dude. One out of four guys, basically. Um, so it's way more common. I mean, and it doesn't always rear its head the way it did with me. And some other guys who get more severe versions, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, doubts, doubts, part of the game, you know, yeah. it's part of life, you know, and some people deal with it better than others. So have you had coaches seriously come up to you and say, Hey man, like I, I struggle throwing batting practice, like help me out. Oh yeah. So, so <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll raise my hand to that too. Balf, I don't know how you are, mate. I cannot agree. Actually, we there, we're, we're in Arizona. Actually, we had a bunch of like really good Australian players over on a recruiting trip. And there was no one else. I'm like, oh, these guys have to hit BP. And I'm like, oh, gotcha. And straight away, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Walk over there. It was embarrassing, dude. And mind you, we've got like, you know, big D1 schools who want to see these kids hit. So here I am. I'm, it's not just like on a backfield where they're just trying to get some work in. You know, they're, they're trying to show off for these schools. And here I am just completely, they've, they've flown 7,000 miles to do that. Dude, no, it's, it's amazing. So what do you, what's the advice? <laughs> yeah, oh, I do. It's bad. It's draw a couple of kids in the back. So, so what do you say? If it's just a mild, you know, throwing BP where obviously your life doesn't depend on it career wise. Yeah. BP is a weird one because, you know, it's not a game. It's not, there's no competition aspect. You're literally just yeah. trying to help somebody hit, take, take their BP for the day. Right. And you feel bad <laughs> when you don't throw enough strikes for them to, uh, to get something out of it, or it feels like they don't. Yeah. And then you throw a few ball bad ones in a row and you, you feel like the whole field's looking at you. So it's really this like, it's more of like an embarrassment thing for that. You know, you're not necessarily yeah. like, I think a lot of like assistant coaches, they see a lot of their value is I can throw BP. Right. And if, you, if I can't do that, what's my value. I th and I think when you start to question your value, you're putting pressure on yourself that doesn't need to be there. Right. So Especially if uh, you're the lefty, right. If you're the lefty coach, because there's only one or two of those, right. Yeah. And they're like, man, I've got to throw strikes here because, you know, there's three or four blokes throwing righty, but I'm the one that's going lefty and they're going to want to see a lefty for the day. So they're throwing BP and they're like, man, I got to, you know, I got to really be spot on here. Yeah. I mean, you feel like that's your contribution to the squad, you know, is getting yeah. them ready to hit. And if you can't throw enough strikes, I had a buddy who's actually, I won't name his name, but he's a big league coach right now with the team. And he's, he battled the yips as a player. And he, he's got it a little bit throwing BP, he said, and all the guys on his team know it and they, they don't care. They said, I said, man, I love hitting off you. Cause like I, I get my take practice in and they're dead serious right. too. Right. <laughs> They'll yank balls and he throws little cutters and stuff. And, Feels um, like a real at bat. Yeah. He's like, I, I, most people it's grooved down, you know, they're big league BP pitchers are in general, really, really good. Like they can put it on a T for you. Yeah. And uh, which is great if you're just trying to get your swing grooved in, but he said that he gives him take practice and uh, he kind of embraced that and he doesn't care anymore. So find hey, a little game like that. Yeah. You know, for those of you who don't know, who only know the new version of Daniel Bard, basically I, I, again, cause there's, we've got a lot of, you know, different new people listening and, and I appreciate everyone who's jumped on board here, uh, throwing the, the, the show into their, their rotation. 
But just just to give a quick background, 2007 to 2011, right? Uh, was it? Uh, 2013 was your last year with the Red Sox. But there was a yeah. couple of years there. It was just, it was a mess, right? A couple where you just, you weren't Daniel Bard, put it that way. And then all of a sudden, off you went, you started coaching. You, you basically said, screw I'm done. Can't, uh, I can't do this anymore. Dealing with the yips. And then 2020, you come back and you're the, like I mentioned earlier, the National League Comeback Player of the Year. So I just want to give a little bit of reference. So if people are uh, sitting there going, well, oh, well, you couldn't throw strikes for a little bit. No, no, no. This is what, six and a half years worth of being out that? of the game. Five or six years where I just couldn't throw the, the way I had, you, you know, I'd had success in the big leagues and it was five or six years of really struggling. Like I would be on a backfield when I say backfield, like a spring training backfield with five people there and I couldn't throw a strike. Some of them missing by five, six feet, you know, off the location. So that's yeah. And then somehow figured a way to get back. So on top of that you- too. You mentioned had a little bit of success. I mean, put up some numbers. You're in a big market team with the Red Sox, everything else. There's all that added to it. And, you know, I, I believe what Papelbon had left and you were kind of, you know, being, you were going to be the next guy in the ninth inning to be the dude, everything else. And then all of a sudden it just, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Just again, just to give a little bit of reference to what, what we're talking about here. And, and again, I know you, we've, we dived pretty deep into it last time, but it is fascinating. And we had Tyler Madsick on, couple of weeks ago and yeah. <laughs> it was not i brought your name up i said oh you know i had daniel bard on and, and just listening listening to the extent of it he goes oh yeah we bumped into each other with the d-backs which yep. is unreal did you remember you remember that pretty clearly oh 100 i don't i don't know how much like i don't think i helped him at all but we had some good conversations more just because we had both been through that same pitching in the big leagues to can't throw strikes yeah. in the bullpen kind of just shared experience and I, he had come a long way at that point. He wasn't back to what he has been these last two years. We actually came back the same year uh, or got back to the big leagues the same year. So yeah. he was in double A with us that year, throwing pretty hard again, throwing mid nineties, I think, but he'd like walk a guy in inning. Like it wasn't bad. It yeah. wasn't bad misses. It was, um, you could tell he was close. Yeah. But a lot of guys get to that close and it, they can never get all the way. Yeah. back to the freedom that you need to pitch in the big league. So I didn't know if he would continue to get better or what, but um, he did, you know, Diamondbacks released him, I think midway through that year. And that was 2019. So yeah, in 2020, he made the Braves and the rest is history. Yeah, it was great. He did say, I mean, he said, just, you mentioned that the fact that you've both been through it, he obviously he knew who you were as a player. It's just crazy when you had that familiarity, when you talk to people as opposed to, and we've talked about this as well, you talk to some of these you know, mental skills gurus who come in and, so, and they have the best intentions, but when they've actually played, even if they haven't had the yips, when they've actually played or been there and had that 15 seconds in between pitches to really know what's going on, regardless of the information they're giving you, it just has, there's that comfort factor too, talking to them. Yeah, I just tried to be, I mean, I didn't have any formal training when I was working that job. I just had my own experience and I had, you know, some books I had read some things that had, had kind of worked for me. Obviously, they didn't get me all the way back at that point. For me, I think that really took me stepping away. I think coaching helped me. I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't the plan. I just wanted yeah. a job. And, uh, but I think the coaching, getting outside myself, helping other guys through their, you know, all the, all the mental stuff that goes, goes on in the baseball season, I think it freed me up to just enjoy the game, have fun again with it, you know, and, I, and then it, slowly the throwing started to feel different. As I was coaching, I was like, I'm pretty old, but I'm not too old yet. I was 35 at the time and decided yeah. to roll it out there and try to give it one more shot. So going from a player to the coaching coaching role, and then I know you're a mentor there, but being around the coaches, maybe in the coaches, in the coaches' room and hearing different sides of the story, being on that side of it, and then going back as a player. Um, I never got to experience that, but I always, you know, sometimes you want to be as a player, you want to be a fly on the wall, right? And some of those meetings, I'm like, well, what are they talking? What's going on? Do you have a different outlook now going back and playing again after having that experience? Yeah. I think you realize like as players, we, you kind of feel like you can hide things, you know, whether it's yeah. an insecurity or a, you know, weakness in your game, you think you're like hiding it pretty well. <laughs> and you get sitting those, like you said, those meetings with all the Rover minor league Rovers will be in there. And a guy walks in for his, his meeting and sit down for 10 minutes and he walks out door shuts. And they're like, dude, he's a mess. 
Like he thinks, he thinks he's holding it together and we can see that like his confidence is shot. Like the, the coaches know, like, they're around you every day. Good coaches, that's what they do well. They read people, you know, and they, they yeah. get to know people and it's hard to hide things. You know, you think yeah. you're hiding it. Man, you think that like, oh yeah, this guy, that, or, or they, mean, or they make see, moves I, I like think, from, what's that? You can, I think as a player, you can see a guy struggling. Even as a teammate, you can see him struggling. But I you have you those conversations. They'll open up to you as yeah. a player, but they're not going to open up to a rover or, or, or their coach or their pitching coach or, or front office for that matter. But so, 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 buddy, you, you're saying the coaches are way more in tune with what's going on with the player than we, than you think. In most cases. Yeah. I, I think there's just, um, you know, sometimes it's just, you don't always have the answer. So you kind of, especially yeah. with throwing, throwing issues like I went through, but even like a batting slump or something like that, the guy's going through, like, sometimes you'll have so many voices coming at a guy that it's making him worse, you know? And, yeah. uh, they I think good organizations have kind of learned that trick of like see a guy struggling like go more hands-off approach and so the player kind of thinks he's skating by and nobody's noticing that he's struggling and that's kind of what gets him out of it yeah whereas like you know if you have a bad couple weeks and you got four hitting coaches talking to you and they fly in a couple rovers and they've got you talking to the mental guy you're like man I must be pretty messed up uh, yeah. <laughs> when they yeah. throw the whole ship at you um but if they kind of leave you alone maybe you have like your yeah. one voice the guy you trust like sometimes that's the best way to get out of it and i think good organizations do a good job of that i actually um sat and watched moneyball last night and uh if you good guys movie. have both seen that it, it was pretty funny because you got Hatterberg there who's you know got the yips can't throw they see we're going to throw him over at first base you know, the whole thing, uh, can't feel the, and just the funny, the insight, what you're talking about, the insight, but they're like, Hey man, you can do it. It's easy. It's not, it's just a piece of cake over there. And then you got other coaches going, Oh no, that's tough over there. You know? And like, yeah. but they just kept giving him that confidence and saying, no, you're good. You got six weeks, you know? And like you said, they kind of tried to leave him alone and, um, you know, it worked out. It's funny to see the inside. Yeah, through that movie, I suppose. But what about the guys who like are really pushing? They're playing well. They they're really trying to get some coaches or front offices' attention. Are they getting talked about in meetings? Like, is there that still that sit around in spring training when they've got to make cuts and someone's going to bat for them in the corner of the room, saying, "Hey, no, look, Tommy Smith. I know we can give him a, a big, huge signing bonus, but man, the kid's a grinder and he's working, blah blah blah." Or is it just some analytical nerd? Come from the front office saying exit velos this say see ya like is there any of that going to bat for these these dudes who aren't massive prospects so when i was with the diamondbacks mike bell was the head of the he was the farm director mike bell passed away last year uh pretty suddenly from cancer and he was that dude was an awesome leader i mean so he pretty much oversaw all the player development so i kind of fell under his umbrella and he was really good at like letting everyone talk. He, he'd had the old school guys that had been coaching for 30 years in the room. Yeah. He had some new school analytics people, you know, and he kind of just let everyone speak their, speak their two cents. And so same thing. We, I remember sitting in those meetings when they're chopping rosters down at the end of spring training. And he'd say, these are our three guys. They're getting released tomorrow. Anybody want to go to bat for them? And oh, wow. these are like, oh man, they're like heartbreaking meetings because some of them, some of them in the room will go kind of quiet. And one guy will be like, I love this kid to death. Like I would let him marry my daughter. I would want him in my wow. life. But like he just can't hit, he can't hit double a pitching, whatever. It's like these sad realities. People think it's kind of a, the release itself. I think can be like a cold, heartless thing. They try to make it as soft as they can. But at the end of the day, like a lot of the people do have feelings for these guys and they just, at some point, you know, you're not good enough. But there are, it's, it's I cool. I, I saw, so I'll, I saw one, one guy that was supposed to get released in spring training. A pitching coach stood up and said, no, he came back in different this spring. His outings have been, you know, he's got a different look on his face, whatever. He was slotted for low A. He ended up finishing the year in triple A closing and was in the big leagues the following year. Wow. He was, a, he was a day away from getting released out of camp, but he's, he's a stud. And uh, yeah, somebody went to bat for him and kept him around. It's insane, uh, man. One more thing on that. Is there those players that are just complete douches? The coaches know, the front office know, everyone's like, hey, look, I don't care how good this kid is. He's a douchebag. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of them, I, again, not, I can't name names. Uh, there was one guy who was kind of a veteran, like a minor league veteran. He might have had a cup of coffee in the big leagues at this point. And he was in AAA. Just getting on a lot of, he wasn't playing a lot. 
Yeah. I think he might have even been on the Phantom DL, and they were like, "We got to get, rid- we got to release him. We got to get rid of him. We're paying him a bunch of money to to sit on the bench and annoy everybody." Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, they're like, "Yeah, but he's valuable. He can play four positions. He could right. fill in the big leagues in a pinch, um, and he can kind of hit homers when you know he can run into some balls." So like. He still has value and they're like yeah. all right we'll give him another month you know and then before you know it the year's over and he's lasted the whole year so right yeah it's, the injuries uh, happen as we all know right you got that guy as a fringe and, and crazy stuff happens in this game one guy gets injured and you maybe going to get released tomorrow what's his name up the big leagues gets injured all of a sudden you know the trickles everyone goes up and then all of a sudden you got a job maybe you go two for four that night hit two bombs that will Jeez, you know, let's keep them around. Great. The worst is when the guy's a complete douche or just like bringing everyone yeah. down with that cancer during BP up out in left field, just talking shit about everyone. And then, you know what I mean? That's- well, when he's on the Phantom, he's annoying everybody. But when, <laughs> yeah. he's, when he's hitting, when he's on a hot streak and leading the team, like yeah. it can actually, oh, this guy's got personality, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's viewed completely different. So oh. it's tough when you're on that Phantom, too. I mean, I, I got a feel for those guys. You know what I mean? Like they know they're that on that fringe. <laughs> And to keep that confidence and be like, yeah, they don't even really want me around here. I'm just kind of, you know, oh, yeah. kind of catching like, bullpens and stuff. Like, it's hard for those blokes. I got, I, I got a really hard. Yeah. All right. So, I want to switch gears here. I want to get into what's happening right now, right? The Players Association, which obviously you're a part of, and the owners just cannot figure it out. Could you, could you see this? Like, are you stunned by this? Are you surprised right now? You're going back to like December when all this kicked off. Are you looking at this? Oh, man, there is no chance something's going to get done before the start of spring training. Or, or are you are you baffled by this just as much as everyone else? You know, it's it's one of those things. Like, I'm not shocked because I know I know the way the owners can be, and th- this is the best fight we've been able to put up and kind of getting everybody our union on the same page and willing to fight mm-hmm. at the same time. But at the same time, you never expect to miss games. You know, right. I kind of try to be more of an optimist and I looked at it like, yeah, it's going to be a battle. It's, it's, it's not going to get done December 1st. It's probably going to run through the off season. Yeah. You know, it might, it might cut into a week or two of spring training, but I kind of thought that was, yeah. that was like worst case scenario. And then here we are. It's not pretty. I feel bad for the fans. Most of all, I feel bad for younger players who maybe don't fully understand why we're doing this you know all they see is we're missing the paycheck maybe maybe two here in a couple days i mean i'm i'm missing paychecks i'm not happy about that at all nobody is but i think i know that the system that i'm benefiting from now came about because guys 20 years ago were willing to miss paychecks and and improve the system so that's the way i choose to look at it you know and hopefully when we get a deal done it'll be a deal that we're all happy with the all the players feel is fair. When you when you look at you get into you know Christmas uh, Thanksgiving rolls around, Christmas rolls around, then into January, and there's just no or there's little or no movement, and there's no willingness to to sit down and figure this out like you saw in that nine day like nine or ten days in in Florida. Like I look at that and say, man, could you imagine if you're doing this in January? You'd be you know what I mean. All of a sudden, you could probably do get the exact deal with whatever the deal is going to happen is going to happen. Right. You could have done that in January. Which we were willing to do. Players were willing to talk all of December, all of January. Minimal talks were had. We couldn't get them to the table for 40 something days after. Uh, uh, Why, why is that from a player's perspective? Why is that? Do you, that what's the messages that you're getting to say why that just didn't happen? Uh, I don't think the owners mind missing games. I clearly they don't. They're being vocal about missing a month of games and they're happy to do that. I think they said, is that correct? No one knows, no one knows how many they're willing to miss, but clearly, I mean, this shows we could have had a deal done a few weeks ago and there hasn't been enough concessions on their end to make, to even like speed up the talks. So um, they're not willing to move. They're not willing to keep up with inflation, which is more or less all that we're asking is keep up with inflation on the minimums on the CBT we gave them, you know, in our most recent proposal yesterday, we gave them a bunch of uh, rule changes that they were looking for. We, th- we saw that as pretty big because as you guys know, yeah. we're players like the, the product on the field and the way the game gets played is like people think it doesn't matter because it's not money based in this, but it matters a lot to us. Yeah. Yeah. Because, sure. you know, we grew up playing the game a certain way and they're changing rules every year. 
right. big rules. I mean, they're changing the baseball. They're changing. They're going to change the size of the bases. Like they're changing yeah. the shifts. They're going to put pitchers on a clock. Like these aren't little changes to what we do for our, for our job that we've yeah. trained our whole lives. And now you're like tinkering, you know, yeah. trying to make games a little faster and a few more runs. And those were big concessions for us. And they said it was a step backwards. I think it was kind of a slap in the face for something that we felt like we put our necks out and didn't get the response we wanted at all. That they are, I mean, they're huge changes, massive changes. Like, personally, where do you stand on, on the shift, first of all? You know, it seems to help and at times hurt at times. I know hitters hate it. It is what it is. I, that's one, you know, no. it, the game, it's just like guys are, guys find new ways to throw pitches. You know, you're, yeah. you're trying to expand what you can do within the rules as best you can to beat the other team. And right, right. now there's no rules to say where everybody's got to stand. So you're yeah. going to put them in the positions where the guy's likely to hit it. So I see how it's gotten to this point. I just think that we should be more involved as, as a union, as a group, as the players on the field performing every night, we should have more say in how the game is played and what's, what is actually best for the game moving forward. For sure. We talk about the shift and I mean, what about, yeah, we see sometimes we got four guys, the whole infield is from second base over. You know what I mean? And we just, it's just like murderous row, try and put it through there. You know what I mean? What if we just keep, obviously you're able to shift and move around, but what if you keep, you know, two guys have got to be on each side of the base. If, if it's just some rule where you can't have four guys on the right side, four guys I think on the left side. I think that's kind of the what the proposal is. So, I mean, I think that would work, you know? Keeps, your, keeps movement. I just, I, let the game sort of correct itself. You know what I'm saying? I feel like in the minute you start putting these rules in where you ban this and then you make the bases bigger, you give a little bit, and then all of a sudden the, the, the floodgates are open. Now we can do this and do that. The game is completely – and, again, I'm not trying to be old school. I get it. I understand from an offensive standpoint. But let players, which they have over the years and years and years, cor like evolve and correct and correct themselves. Like find ways. All right, if you're going to uh, overshift on guys, then they find other ways to work around that and work around that just like front offices do, just like players do. I just – the whole thing about starting to implement – all these rules and everything, man, it just all of a sudden creates this situation where the game is over-regulated, loses a little bit of that human element, loses the ability to for the players to correct what's happening on the field. I understand the game has to be sped up. I understand they want more offense and all this accommodation. I totally understand that. All the little things you hear about, but man. Hard, to, just, do, hard to do both of those things. Speed a game up and add offense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. I mean, you got to pick one, in my opinion it's uh what are we gonna bring it down to uh two strikes you know what i mean three balls you know what i mean hit hitting up oh, yeah. strike I mean, five inning games i like jack peterson's tweet the other day all games are seven innings 30 teams in the postseason everyone gets the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> i want to go back really quickly to the rule changes you were talking about as a fan i've been following the negotiations i think about as close as i can and i had no idea that the rule changes were a big concession on the player's side. Why didn't I know that? Why isn't that being marketed? I thought that was just a tiny little thing that was thrown into the deal, but you're saying it's much bigger than that. I, I think it's big because we're the ones that have to play it. You know, I think they're, they're micromanaging and tinkering with, with rule changes with the baseball. And we're the ones that our, our careers are getting affected by it. And we're, we're the ones that have to literally like, Ryan, I don't know. You might, you guys might've still been playing when they banned the third to first move for yeah. righty. You yeah. know, like yeah. that was, a, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to say it was a big part of my game, but like I used it to hold right. the guy at first, right? Yeah. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to pick anybody off, but I'm trying to keep him from going first movement to keep my double play set up. And I, that kind of went out when I started to hit my troubles and I left the big leagues for six years and then I came back and there was no third to first. And it was like, <laughs> this is just weird. You know, it's yeah, like, that was, that was a part of the game and now it's I mean, not. Um, I guess it'd be like, you know, some of these owners running their company and telling them, Hey, we're going to bring in all this new software guys. And we're going to run the company like this with all this new software, figure it out, you know, and everyone, yeah. everyone's kind of going scattering in the offices and whatnot, trying to figure out all the new software. But, well, if it uh, changes their skill set, absolutely. If it's something where like you employ someone to do something and that just those little tinkering starts messing with their skill set, what they do best to make money for your company, 100% for sure. And we all know as a player, we want to simplify the game, right? I mean, when we're out there, you want to simplify the game. You know, you've got to do what you got to do. Hold runners on this and that. I mean, you just want to be out there confident, get the sign and just go challenge that guy and go right at him and, and make the game 
you know, as simple as you can. You're not going to try to overthink it, do too much and be successful, be confident, be successful. So this is just, like I said, I, I mean, I'm trying to follow it. I do follow it, but I'm like, man, I, I thought I knew all the rules, but I, uh, no, we, I think again. we had a conversation in our bullpen last, last year. It was like July. And we were talking about the playoff picture and we were like, wait, how many teams get in this year? And we went around the bullpen and we're like, we couldn't remember if they kept the 2020 rules, which were different. Or if they were going back to the new, the existing ones, we're like, I don't know how, we don't know how many teams get in the playoffs. We're uh, eight, eight major league players. And we were like, we don't have a phone because you can't have a phone out there. So 20, 2005 again. And we're all sitting around like, how do we find out like how many teams get in the playoffs? Is it, we couldn't, we couldn't figure it out. We're like, this is really bad that we're, we're at the highest level and no yeah. one knows the playoff structure because it's sitting changed with, many times. Sitting there with a week in the season to go going, hang on, it's 12. We got a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so going to that, I know you guys have gone back and forth between the owners wanting 14 for reasons being it's about money and uh, we understand you know, the financial side there on their side. Players only wanting 12, but it sounds like from what I'm reading, you want a 10, you're willing to go to 12 to try to compromise. Now it's, am I reading stuff that's saying, well, we may come to 14, but you obviously want something done on the other, on the other end. We, we see those as big concessions um, on our end. Like we're giving them what they want. It's a huge revenue stream. I think a lot of guys on our group don't think 14 team playoff is great for the game it we think it devalues the 162 that we play yep. in the regular season and we want those to matter like if you have a good record in the regular season you should get rewarded by not having to play for a month and a half to, to win a world series you know but if we're going to give in on that like meet us meet us closer to what we want on those other you know those other financial things that's yeah. kind of the way we view it like this stuff matters guys going to the playoffs you know, a guy making a really good free agent salary goes in the playoffs and he's basically taking a huge pay cut to play another month. And they'll do that because World Series and winning and that stuff matters. But at the same time, like we're all risking injury, taking a pay cut to play that extra month so that they can make a lot of money. How often is like the head of the Players Association involved in the players? Like in, in other words, like is it that, hey, we're going to Zoom meeting set up for Tuesday on January 5th, make sure you're there. Or, or like, I mean, if I'm a, let's say I'm a zero to three player, I'm a rookie or something like that. How involved can I get to really understand what's going on? Do they uh, open that up for all the players? Like to, when they have, obviously, you know, I, I know they're not all meeting in the same room like they did back when I was playing, but I'm saying like on Zoom, like do they have that where it's a consistent check-in and uh, so everyone's in, in the loop? Yeah, you can kind of be as involved as you want, as you want to be. Player reps play a big role in that during the bargaining times. So Scott Oberg is our rep, and he's unbelievable at keeping us up to up to speed on what what they're meeting about and taking our t- temperature on different topics so that he can report back. So and ideally, that's that's what's happening with all thirty teams. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people to keep in the loop. It's a lot of different ages, different service classes, um, people with different priorities. Um, so you're trying to just take the temperature of everybody and try to get a fair deal. Yeah, it's interesting. Just being educated, like, you know, if, if I was a current player and they, first of all, the, the economic side of it, I'd be sitting there going, my head would be spinning. That's why I love hearing all these experts on social media, you know, giving their breakdowns. Like you are not in those meetings and you are not on either side of this. So it's hard to really take what you're saying seriously. But when it's stuff like, you know, bigger bases or pitch clocks and stuff like that, I'm sure there has to be a huge array of opinions and people saying, oh, yeah, I'm good with that or I don't really care. Or, and people just straight up, no chance, we cannot do that. It must be because you've got hundreds of players. You know what I mean? It, it must just be a huge spectrum of, of ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the player reps come in and they try to get one opinion out of their 40 guys, deliver that to the to the union and go from there. But sorry about that, man. We, we got cut off, but uh, you texted me. I, I didn't even realize you had my number. I guess I guess you did, mate. So I, I apologize about that. Yeah, I still had, I think, from 2013, man. That's when we first met. I still remember you were one of the first people to text me the day I got DFA'd by the Red Sox. And we that's barely right. knew each other. I remember that, dude. Because I was watching, because I remember leading into that, and uh, and we're going to get back to this. I know everyone wants to hear about this union stuff here in a second. 
But I remember because I was watching on TV, spring training, I'm trying to think if spring training even, there was a few hiccups you were having in spring training in 2013 that I could see. Like, for example, when you're warming up to get into games and everything else, I'd sit there and watch it in, in some of those spring training games. And you could just see it, man. You could totally see it. And then as, as the beginning of the season kicked off, a lot of the reporting back, the media was like, oh, he's injured. And I was thinking to myself, there's no, there, it's not, that's not it, period. Because we'd had, we'd had some of those conversations. Yeah, that's I was probably true. honest with you in our, you know, our talks during BP out in the outfield. That's right. I remember Andrew Bailey, another guy, would, would stand out there and, and, and uh, chat and, and everything else. But, yeah, man, I, I remember watching that and, and I, I suggested, even though you're on different sides of the country, but I suggested Tom House, man. And, look, he, he's known around the game, baseball, now football. 2010, I was an absolute mess psychological mess i remember grant had to hear about it all day long too and grant sitting there like dude just do your thing man i just couldn't i just i couldn't sleep couldn't eat or i was just overeating or whatever <laughs> i was just an absolute mess got the pitch and just shaking before the game and just couldn't get it done i just literally could not get it done just got lit up every single game and then away from the field i was seeing a, a, someone trying to help the mariners had me seeing this guy trying to help me out Absolute mess. And someone said, oh, hey, you should go have a conversation with uh, Tom House. And I was like, eh, kind of shook it off. Next year, 2011, I signed with the Astros. Another shit show. I was like, all right, I'll go meet with him. And dude, it just blew my mind, man. How, it was just amazing. Just not only physically, but just on the psychological side of things. That's why when I see guys like you or Tyler Matzik, or I, I am fascinated by that. You know what I mean? It's because you've been through it. Grant, I'm sure you've been through it too, mate. At some point, even though you're an absolute maniac on the mound, I'm sure it's been sometimes. Surely, uh, right? Yeah, there's, there's always a hiccup in the game. It's it's never never sweet, uh, easy sailing. You know, we know that this game's not easy not oh, for yeah. nobody. We talk about that. Even some of the best players, they they have their struggles, mate. There's no doubt about it. And then you just try to obviously we're trying to minimize them, right? We're trying to minimize that little speed bump and then get back on the road and just kind of keep going, but easier said than done sometimes so yeah to see you come back and uh come back player of the year mate it's awesome and uh just keep going i mean I, you only throw a hundred so you know you should be all right Dude, i, I <laughs> love right watching you a little pitch. while i loved watching you pitch in tampa it was fun man i yeah. i thought you were an absolute maniac uh, oh yeah i don't know if we ever actually met but um it was special man Nine, 98 here it is try to hit it crazy look in your eyes yeah yeah, you, you uh, gave our hitters bits, man. That's what worked for me. I, I I just had to, you know, I zeroed it in, use that aggression, just the focus, and uh, that's what gave me success. So, you know, I just stuck with that. But you know, each to their own. And players on the other team probably hated me, but you know, I was I tried oh, to be I, the best teammate for my teammates, and, and I'd go to fight and go to battle for them, and, and that's kind of the way I saw it, you know. I got to ask, but I got to ask you this because we actually bumped into Shane Victorino at the uh, Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and he uh, he actually he said to me, I said, "Hey man, I said, what was it like in the dugout? You know, with Balfour? If you don't know him, are you looking at him going, this guy? Like, are you looking at him, oh yeah, this guy, this guy's getting after it? Or are you looking at him like, oh, what an absolute douche, man! I can't stand this this act. But to be honest, mate, when you were watching Grant pitch, and I know you said you love watching him, but from a hitter standpoint, or some of your teammates, was it off putting? watching some of the, the antics from Grant. You know, I think it was kind of the same effect like Papelbon had on guys. You know, yeah, like right. it was this, it was almost like an act out on the mound. The hitters would be like, man, fuck this guy. Right. And it gets, it'd get them out of their game, right? They'd cope, yeah. like guys who are typically like have a good approach would be like, screw this guy. And you end up getting chases on balls a foot out of the zone. They wouldn't normally swing at because they're so amped up to just like ruin that guy's day. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I don't, you, you could probably speak better, but it looked to me like that you had that effect. I've seen a handful of relievers do it, where they just drive the hitter emotionally, kind of like fires them up yeah. and takes them out of their game. Uh, that's kind of the idea too. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's like, hey, if I can get him to get a little bit off his game and, and take some focus off of what he does well and try to maybe get a little over aggressive with the bat or whatever, uh, it works for me. You so, got to be you know, good though, I, man. You, I got to get a block out, you know. Yeah, you got to put numbers up. If you're going to do that, Grant, like this, you know, the stuff you were doing, and I know you, mate. So I know, like, it was legitimate. It wasn't some act. Like, I oh, know this guy is soft. No chance. Like, I, I obviously have known Grant for a long time. It has, first of all, it has to be super genuine. You see some guys putting on some acts. 
especially when you come up to the minor leagues, like, all right, dude, like just chill out because that ain't you. But you have to put up numbers too, man. You can't be out there with a, with a seven doing that. There is no way. Did you, you play – you you were in Oakland. Did you play with Andrew Kerrigan? Name ring a bell? Reliever? I, I, I do know the name, but um, you might have had – you might have had a – yeah, I did actually. I did the he one in, year. I, he was say a, you guys might have overlapped. He, he was no, – he got hurt a lot. He was my college closer. And uh, yeah. he, he had that. He was the first guy I ever saw that really had that where he would just he's five yeah. foot ten. He threw oh, pretty yeah. he threw mid nineties, but had yeah. one pitch and it was a invisible fastball. Yeah. And he would get chases two feet out of the zone because he just yeah. strutted he strutted around the mound. He had this look on his face. He was like, we always made fun of him because he was bow legged and he'd do this chest <laughs> out and he'd strut around the mound. And he had uh, a big beard, he was kind of scruffy looking, but yep. Yep, that's yeah, it. No, he, he was good for us. He was yep. good for us. He was up there. Yeah, I remember I had about a year with him on and off a couple throughout a couple of years. Yeah. Shout yeah, out easy, to Easier said than done, though. That is yeah. for sure. Hey, speak, speaking of that, too, we, I talked to you after you nationally comeback player of the year. So you go from getting back in 2020 and overcoming so much and the story and everything else was amazing to all of a sudden, now the expectations changed a little bit in 2021. Did you feel like Anything was different because you've just come back from a lot, but you came back a nothing to lose type aspect, right? To, hey, I'll give this a crack. I've just been coaching. I've been out of the game for X amount of years. So it's not like everything's riding on this. To now all of a sudden, 2021, you roll into the season, the expectations have changed. I'm glad you said that because, uh, yeah, it was, it was way different. 21. I was, I finished the year in 2020 as a closer with the Rockies. And so I, basically had that job to start 21 handed to me and yet to go from you're you're on a minor league contract you hadn't pitched in six years it's just cool that you made the team yeah there's really like no pressure to perform it's just like the fact that I was there was a win and then the next year uh by the way we're relying on you to uh close out our wins it's very different and uh it wasn't I wasn't ready for it but what that does to me is like I was very carefree in 2020, like didn't care what anybody thought of me. I was like, I'm this old guy. These young guys probably think this is just crazy. Probably think it's cool, but I'm out there like running sprints with no shoes on. Like I'm just enjoying every day. Yeah, right. yeah. And then 21 rolled around and I was like, I was confident. still was very confident in my ability and what I was doing, but I was also like, okay, now, now it kind of has to be good. Yeah. And I'd gotten a nice, nice raise through arbitration and it was like, okay, they're paying me now. And, I'm the closer and it's got to be good. I was good for a while and then it was a little rocky. And I think I felt some of those, not, not the yippy stuff, mm-hmm. but just like the, the pressure you feel of like, yeah. Oh, this matters a lot. Like this is life and death and it starts to feel that way again. So it's a, it's a constant reminder to just, I have it written on the underside of my bill of my hat is play the game. It's just like, right. that's my reminder. Just like, go have fun, be a kid, compete, like compete, like crazy, play the game. You don't have to be perfect. Just yeah. go be you. And I found that's that for me is like the best. That's how I get the best version of myself out. It's freaking hard though, man. Like to try and bottle up that carefree, running around with no shoes. I'm just happy to not just happy to be here, but man, I'm look at this, man. I've just this is an amazing story. Nothing's riding on this to all of a sudden now. It's like, okay, now you're the dude. Now you have to continue this. It's freaking hard. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm competitive with myself. Like I I wasn't satisfied with just being there. Like my goal last year was to, to make an all-star team. Didn't happen. Right. You know, like I didn't want to just be there again or just, you know, hold a job down in the bullpen. It was like, no, I want to be, if, if I can close on this team, I should be able to make an all-star team. So like that was my goal going in last year, just continually setting the bar higher. So I think you kind of have to, that's how we're all wired. Yeah. Just because we checked one accomplishment off the list doesn't mean we just stop and, and, uh, coast in from there like I keep setting the bar higher like I'm not I wasn't happy with the way last year went at all for myself and I know I can do a lot of things better so hopefully we get this thing underway soon so I can get at it I bet I would sure. uh just going through that and, and going through a bit of that myself from injuries and coming back I did tell myself I said I don't want to be one of the best in the game you know once we get to the big leagues sometimes we tell ourselves oh I got to the big leagues that was the thing but kind of a mistake I try to teach kids now is don't just be happy getting to the big leagues. You want to stay there and tell yourself you want to be one of the best. I challenge myself to say, I want to be as good as Joe Nathan, Myron Rivera. And I've said this before on here. 
you know, and then all of a sudden for six straight years, I'm in the top 10, you know, whatever the shredder and all that stuff, I'll never be top 10 relievers in the game. But I think if you, if you shoot for that and you strive for that, you just look at the best in the game and just compare yourself to them and not sort of mediocre down here. Like you, you, you take off, you absolutely take off. And when a team gives you that closer, oh, I believe they have the confidence in you you should have the confidence in yourself and then you just get out there and like, Hey man, I'm the man and friggin' just yeah. bam, 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 you know, and just uh, put it to sleep. You know, that's right. So I look forward to uh, 2022, mate, seeing you out there throwing those darts again. I appreciate it, man. I, I hope we get out there soon. Hey, I've got to ask you this. I've got to end on a bit of positivity, mate, because again, the, the whole, I, I want, I can sit here and talk to the cows come home about the whole, this lockout. It is, depressing i mean so much there's such a ripple effect i mean i'm you know it's costing me as an individual money because there's no baseball i can't do tv and radio and you know that there's so many things i want to go back to this man if people are listening they, they need to hear some baseball content need to have some inspiration some positivity i want you to go back to it. when was that moment i'm going to create a new segment grant when was that all-in moment sponsored by all-in energy drink which by the way daniel the case of these are coming to your your place mate when was that moment for you that you're like, holy shit, I've been through all this now, right? Was it when you got... <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Sorry, we couldn't get him to you fast enough, Father. But when was that moment for you where you're like, I friggin' did it? Like, was it when they called you in the office? Was it when you threw that first bullpen or in that first game where the ball went straight where you wanted to, to go? When was that moment for you? There were so many of them from getting invited to big league camp before the, before the shutdown back in uh, February. I didn't think, I thought I'd be going through indie ball if I wanted to play again. I'd probably go indie ball, probably double A, triple A. And then really big leagues was not even on the radar. Um, I knew I was throwing the ball well, but I knew that my pass was so checkered that it was going to take a miracle for a team to give me a shot. So the, Got invited to big league camp. It's like, holy shit, they still give me a shot. Must be pretty good. And then we got shut down for a while. I was able to, to work a lot during that shutdown and then getting invited back to summer camp, we called it, which was like spring training in July yeah. that year. Just getting invited back to that, which was a smaller group than original spring training. And then it was, it was quick. It was three weeks. It was like seven outings. And I knew I was throwing the ball pretty well, but I... Gave up a homer to, to Arenado and walked a few guys, but overall I was throwing like upper nineties again. And yeah. they liked what they saw. And uh, they gave me the opening day, a spot on the opening day roster and pitched, I think in the second game, I don't think it was opening day. I think it was the second game. Yeah. And I remember jogging in, I couldn't help but like smile. Cause I was like, right. this is <laughs> unbelievable. Like I could not. Yeah. Having lived through it and the people who are closest to me, my wife, my parents, my brothers, like some coaches that I got really close with, they knew they knew how improbable that was, and how insane it was. But I, I don't think anybody knows how low it was unless you're with me the whole way. Right. So I was like, this is this is unbelievable. Like as I'm running in and that's where it just felt like whatever happens here is icing on the cake. Let it fly. Let it fly. It's kind of my motto. So I just got in the game and let it fly and good things happened. I got the win that day. So, so all, nice. from the jog, from the bullpen into the mound, you're aware of all those things. All those things are running through your head. It wasn't like, Oh, okay. Hey, I got, I'm facing so-and-so I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to throw this, this pitch and blah, blah, blah. It was more of the big picture stuff. Like, Holy shit. I cannot believe this is happening. Yeah. It was, you know, it was the whole, my wife and I had this conversation a hundred times is like, you know, 2020 was such a weird year and nothing was going normal. And it was like, if this is ever going to happen, this would be the year yeah, for right. this yeah. weird to happen. <laughs> and so, and I get, I get on the mound through my warm up pitches. None of them hit the backstop. And I was like, okay, it's just, I'm good. Like I'm fine. And uh, Elvis Andrus was the first batter who I'd faced a ton because he'd been around, he's been around a long time too. So I'd faced him when he first came up in Texas. So there's like a comfort thing there. I was just like yeah. back in the big league uniform, back facing, you know, Elvis Andrus, a guy I'd faced five or six times and yeah. got him out. And I was like, it was the last out of an inning. I came in mid inning and I just took a big exhale. I, I laughed as I was coming off the field. I, just, I remember I was pretty loose. Like, I think I was just in kind of a, just like, Hey, screw it. We're here. This is a win already. And uh, anything good that happens after this is just a bonus. 
Do you think? Do you think in some ways having no fans last year might have helped in that way? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it might have taken some of the extra adrenaline that would have been there out. I mean, even though I felt like I still was pounding through my chest, just like it was my debut all over again. But you know, that, I I can't imagine that it didn't help a little bit. Just saying, because I call it like some of these larger than life characters sixty feet away from you, big league umpire getting down you're like oh shit it's it's and, and again even when like for me i took i had a couple of years where i was you know just a couple of years out of the big leagues we got back and i'm standing there like i was like i felt like i was i was watching on tv and i was 60 feet away because you know yeah. it yeah. was weird man i was pitching against the giants i'm looking at these dudes like oh there's you know buster posey standing there and I'm like, what the f- what am i doing here you know yeah yeah i think over the quarantine time when everybody was stuck at home i threw a bunch of live bps which was just me and, and some other like AAA and big league hitters that live around me. And I got, I threw like eight or 10 times to them. And I, I got really comfortable. Like, you know, we, it made the game, like I had already gotten invited to spring training and then this was the shutdown, but this allowed me to like play the game. We, play, we played, we had a Sandlot themed game where I wore jeans. I pitched in jeans. <laughs> I pitched awesome. in jeans and I was throwing 95 miles an hour in jeans and a flannel. And uh, like we went full Sandlot mode for one of the games. And uh, I realized like fully realized like I'm back and this is super fun and I'm I'm messing around again. And then when I, when I got in back to the big leagues, I tried to keep that same mindset. Like we're just a bunch of dudes on a flat field playing a game, playing to hit the ball with a stick. And like the more I remind myself of that, it's like, no, nothing has to be perfect. Like we're playing a game. He's really good. I'm really good let's compete and see who wins. And you, it takes the lights and the fans and all yeah. the media yeah. and distraction that yeah. can, that can make a game more than it actually is. It's what makes MLB really cool to watch, you know, is all the yeah. fanfare around it. But when you're in it, I think the more you can just strip it down to like yeah. me versus the hitter, mano y mano, just like we did when we were 12 and I'm going to get you out. Yeah. How, how'd they, real quick before that, how'd they tell you? Like, was it like, Oh, Hey, uh, by the, by the way, yeah, you, 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 you're coming with us for the, yeah, once summer camps over, you come. Or, or did they make? Did they make a big? De- Surely they made a big deal out of it, man. There had to be they, something. I mean, if I'm a manager, I'm like trying to do like something crazy because here's a guy who's missed nearly over half a decade out of the game at well, this they, level. I remember Steve Foster, our pitching coach, pulled me out of playing catch. I was playing catch on the field, wasn't scheduled to pitch that day. This is like something in spring training, and uh, he pulled me out of the middle of catch, and I was like, "Can I just finish throwing?" He's like, "No, now." And I was like, I'm in trouble. Like, it was something weird. He had like a little smile on his face. I was like, it doesn't seem bad, but I don't know. They told me we had to walk all the way from the field, through the dugout, up the stairs, into the manager's office. Buddy Black's waiting there. I think it was Chris Owings and Matt Kemp were already in the sitting down on the couch. And he goes, Bardo, have a seat. GM's in there, pitching coach, manager, three players which I was like, this is weird. Like they're position players. What is yeah. this? Are we all and then he goes, Yeah. But he goes, uh, he goes, you guys are all in here on minor league deals. And we, we want you to be a part of this, this club. You're all going to make the team. Uh, so he told us all at the same time, which was kind of cool. And then and immediately it was a big deal for anybody on a minor league deal to make a team, right? You're a long yeah, shot. So yeah, yeah. Boeing's and then Matt Kemp, who's won every award you can win. The funny thing is they both made the team. So obviously they're hearing good news too. They looked straight at me and they were like, dude, you did it. And I was like, I just went full goosebumps and oh, smiled. And I was like, this doesn't feel real. And they, you know, they both gave me a hug and uh, it was a pretty cool moment. That is freaking awesome. awesome. See, that's what's all about. That's why this lockout just does my head in my, I just, yeah, stuff like that. We need to get back to playing baseball so we can hear more of that stuff. But uh but this has been fun, mate. Great. You got anything else before you let him let him go? No, nah, it, uh, it was perfect. It was great. It was great talking to you. Great yeah. finally getting to meet you. Of um, like I said, you know, I'm sitting in the bullpen and uh, watched you uh, perform before, and uh, mostly obviously with the Red Sox back then when you lights out, man. It was it was awesome to watch. So uh, glad you you're back doing it again, and uh, wish you all the best, mate. First podcast I've done with. With two Aussies, so yeah, there you go. We, uh, hey, probably I, the, and probably the only one. <laughs> no, hey, by the way, I did have. I swear to God, we, we've run out of time. 
I did have some a little Aussie segment here for you, but next time you come on, mate, I'm I'm going to put you to the test here because I was going to transition. If 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 you can't play baseball in the states, you might have to go play at club level down in the <laughs> down Australia. Dude, Australia, New Zealand is on my bucket list. Dude, get travel. down there, mate. I've done Europe. I've done next Asia. November. I want to go. Dude, November is the time to go, right, Grant? I mean, down right now, right? Isn't no, it's you. You're good now. You're good. You're good now. Okay. Yeah, they, they've opened it up and and everything else. Yeah, they've they've yeah. they've just said that. There, there is a lot of flooding, depending on where you're going right now. You yeah. might not want to go to a few spots. There's been some, yeah, really bad flooding actually, which we're gonna, yeah, probably talk about here. Uh, but uh, but yeah, mate, you're good to go. Get yeah, you, it, it's it's opened up, but November is the time to go. It's get less summer. crowded. You go around, yeah, summer. It's warming up. You know, get out of the, you know, get out of the winter in the states. Head down, not super crowded. All the all the places you want to be at, because once once Christmas rolls around, then that's called the school holidays. So <laughs> November is like spring, spring for you guys. It is, yeah. So it's the last month of spring, but it's it's right. nice. It's a good vibe because it's starting to warm up everywhere, so everyone's happy. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, that's the that's the time to go. Swear good to God, the, right, right in the off season too. Yeah. Take yep. the kids down, mate. There's so much. I'll, I'll write your whole. I'll, I'll be a travel agent, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll write it all up hey, for you. They'll have you in Newcastle for two weeks, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my hometown. Yeah, yeah. You'll be in Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. You be going to coach uh, camps all over Newcastle, mate. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna get paid to do it. Yeah, yep. for free. Well, I'm not making any money right now, so we need to do something. <laughs> awesome. All right, bud. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. Right. Thanks, mate. Good on you. See you, mate. See y'all. See ya. Killing them, 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 killing them